Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor of the church, and uh, every year we have a Christmas offering. So we do a Christmas offering each year. We ask everyone to give above and beyond their normal giving, and we try to pool our gifts so that we can maximize the impact that our gifts can have. And last year, in our Christmas offering, one of the recipients of the Christmas offering was a church in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, We launched a foreign missions program and supported Grace City Church in Tokyo. And I want to give you an update from their pastors. And so they they sent us this update thanking us for financially supporting them. They said this, they said, Grace City Church is the only church planted in downtown Tokyo, near Tokyo Station. We rejoice to see how God's working in this area that houses the power center of Japan's businesses, economy, and politics. God has grown Grace City Church Tokyo steadily from zero. And this year, we've grown to 160 regular attendees. So 160, that's a mega church in Tokyo, seriously. So he said, um, your financial support helped us to rent our worship space long term. I love this part. Building a new church building in central Tokyo is too hard, so we rent space for our worship service. I'm like, hey, that's what we do. We're in San Diego, same thing. Um, We thank God for his blessings through you so that we're able to worship God in the very core of downtown Tokyo. And your funds also help to equip new leaders for our community groups in Grace City Church Tokyo. Your financial support um, was used to build and equip small group leaders. Five candidates got trained and equipped as new leaders. We now have 11 small groups around each of Tokyo's areas. So this is what God has done just this year. Once again, thank you so much for your prayers and support, Pastors Makoto and Tagatsutu. And so, so that's exciting. Um, this was last year's uh, Christmas offering recipient, or one of them. And so this year, um, we are, with our Christmas offering 2019, our aim is to raise $15,000. Again, this is above and beyond normal giving. We want to give light and life to two different areas. Um, first, the Harbor Care Fund. Uh, this ministers to people with needs within our church. Uh, and then the Harbor Mercy Fund, and this focuses on helping mobilize us to minister to people who have needs within our city. And so in the coming weeks, we'll give you information about both of these recipients. Next week, we're going to have special envelopes for the Christmas offering in the bulletin that, uh, that you can have. We're going to receive the special Christmas offering over two Sundays, September, I'm sorry, December 17th and 24th. Those are the two Sundays before Christmas. And uh, the money that we receive above the 15000 will go to our general budget because we need a strong fourth quarter to meet our financial needs. So our hope is that y'all will begin to pray and just ask God, God, how would you like me to contribute uh, to the Christmas offering? And so, um, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless our church with all the different announcements and then pray for us as Sethian prepares to come up. But I'll introduce him after we pray. So would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God. Thank you for the life that comes from you. As you speak to us, we have come alive. Um, Our faith grows as we encounter you, as we experience your presence in our lives, and we're so thankful. And God, we're thankful for all of the activities that are going on during this Christmas season, Um, activities that promote both community here, uh, strengthening relationships, and then that also move you for inspiring us to care for and to serve people that need it. God, thank you for inspiring us and loving us in a way that causes us to want to love others. 
and to reach out. Um, as we now turn toward your word, as we look to the Bible, and, uh, and our goal is that we want to understand it, God. We want to understand you better. And so please speak to us. Bless Sethian and strengthen him to speak with all that you've poured into him, God. Let, it, let the overflow fill us up so that we might know you better and walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've seen Sethian's name before, you won't know that it's Sethian. You'll think his name is like Satan because that's what his name looks like. Um, but his name is Sethian. Um, Sethian uh, Devados, he's the Fletcher Jones Professor of Applied Mathematics and a professor of computer science at the University of San Diego. Okay, so he's local here. Prior, he was professor at Williams College. He, um, his works and his positions at UC Berkeley, Harvey Mudd, Stanford, and others. Um, his works and his thoughts have appeared in NPR, the, London, uh, the Times of London, the Washington Post, Forbes Magazine, and the Department of Defense. And in addition to his achievements in mathematics, he's also served as an elder in the church where he was in Massachusetts before coming to San Diego. And Sethian speaks nationally on issues of faith. And I tell you all of this not to impress you, um, but I tell you all these things because Sethian is one of those people who both knows and loves Jesus, and he knows and loves science and mathematics. And if your life is anything like mine, most of the people that are scientific, most of the mathematicians that, you, that, that I know, tend to feel like you have to check your reason at the door when you begin to think about issues of faith. Um, but Sethian, Sethian's logic, his mind, has actually led him to love Jesus. And so personally, I have been blessed to hear him teach on math, and I'm excited about what he's going to choose of Jesus, um, and I've been blessed to know him also as a friend, and I'm excited about what he's going to share with us today. So, Sethian, would you come and open God's word and your heart to us? No, no, no. no. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to clap for a math lecture on Sunday morning, but <laughs> let's do it. Um, you know, I've spoken and I've traveled all over the world, sat next to a lot of people on airplanes and uh, um, just waiting for different things to happen. And the moment people find out that I'm a math professor, that I'm a mathematician, their first three words are usually, Father, forgive me. <laughs> Father, forgive me because I stopped at algebra. Like, Father, forgive me because I didn't understand trigonometry at all. And when, you know, Father, forgive me, when my kid comes and asks me a question about math, I change the topic. You know, there's this, like, this deep sadness, right, when it comes to math. Usually if it's about history or literature, oh, I read Beowulf, I remember that, or I'm here. And so, and what they did with China and about math, it's always this feeling of failure. And so, thank you for having me here this morning. Appreciate that. Um, when Stephen asked me to uh, preach, he actually gave me a wide berth of talking about whatever I wanted, but, um, but I know that... Advent is coming up starting next Sunday onward, and Harbor City is going through a, uh, an Advent series called Light and Life, and how to have light and life, and this amazing uh, sentence that God became man. That's just kind of an unfathomable, almost silly sentence, like how can the God of the universe become a human and kind of hang out with us, and that's what this Advent season is. And we can ask this question, you know, how can this be? <laughs> like, how do you expect me to believe that sentence? How do you expect me to be sure 
of that sentence. For me to even come to church, for me to even listen to somebody talk about the fact that God became a man, much less this man that lived 2,000 years ago, that's just a silly thing. And, you know, I just want to pull back and say that I think every one of us struggles with doubt and uncertainty. It could, be, it could be about issues of God. It could be issues of God and his goodness and power. You know, you could say, listen, if you claim that God is all good, and if you claim at the same time that God is all powerful, have you watched anything in the news? Have you seen the brokenness of this world? How can a good God, who is all powerful, sit back and do nothing? I mean, if it was me, I would actually get in there and do something. Right? And it's not just a little bit of brokenness at the edges, right? It's like deep brokenness throughout the world. And you can see this brokenness in your life. You know, do you know what's happening to my mom? Do you understand what's happening to my neighbor? Do you understand the sickness they're going through? Do you understand the brokenness they're struggling with? How can you claim that God is so good and powerful if there's such hurt in my own life? And for some of you, it could even be pain through the church. You know, the God that is so good and powerful that speaks through the church. Well, you know what that church has done for me? It's hurt me. You know, it's hurt my family. When you say X and all of a sudden there's betrayal and brokenness and abuse and Y, how can you expect me to come and believe any of this stuff? You know, as a mathematician, people turn to me and they say, you know, is there some kind of a mathematical framework, some proof? You know, this is what mathematicians do, right? We try to prove things are true, like A squared plus B squared equals C. There's like a formula, an equation, a framework. Is there something that science can do to help shore up my doubt about issues of God and faith. You know, can you do that for me? Is there, is there something you do in your own work that makes sense? Church, I want to give you a little secret today. The secret is that actually math is designed to deal with the easy things. It is. You know, I'm not sure if you've heard of E equals MC squared. It's one of Einstein's kind of famous breakthroughs, right? That, uh, that mass and uh, energy are related in this cool equation. The fact that scientists and mathematicians have equations for things means that the things we have the equations about are easy. That mass and light is actually easy to understand. You know, the Pythagorean theorem is about an equation about a triangle. Mmm, there's thrilling. <laughs> Let me tell you what we don't have formulas for. If you do, I'd love to hear it. I don't have a formula for how to take care of my wife. I wish there was an equation for that. You wake up, 7.30, plug this in and put that in and turn, and she's smiling. Mm, there's no equation I got for that one. I have no equation on how to take care of my kids. Well, I have no idea about how to show kindness to a friend, how to show forgiveness to that person who cut me off on the road. I have no equation. I have no formula. There's no theory for this. You know, the fact that we were able to put a man on the moon tells me that rocket science is actually the easy stuff. The fact that we still don't know how to deal with issues of race Issues of gender inequality, issues of injustice, means that's the hard stuff. Those in the humanities and the arts are dealing with the hardest things in the world today. An artist is trying to express things that don't even have words. But a mathematician and the scientist deal with simple things. In fact, what I can say is issues of faith are probably the biggest, the hardest, the most complex things you can ask for. And probably the worst person to ask to speak about that is a mathematician. All right, on that note, we just pray that you ask, I would love for you to pray with me. God King, we just pray that you asked, and I pray especially that you ask and come follow me, empower me to say what you want to say. May I fade, may you rise. I just pray especially for those of us here, and I know there are people here who are coming throughout the city who are struggling with issues of doubt, 
struggling with issues of what it means to be a good God. And I just pray that you give them gifts of faith, that you empower them, send your spirit and an extra gift of love and tenderness to them. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So today, my friends, we, um, we're going to turn to a cool story, one of my favorite stories. It is a story where actually heaven breaks through to earth. And the story revolves around two of the most important people in all of scripture. We're going to be looking at John the Baptist, who is the greatest Old Testament figure there is. Before the coming of the Messiah, he's the greatest prophet who points the way to the coming of the king. And the second person we're going to look at is Jesus, who is the king himself. Except we're not going to be looking at the lives of John the Baptist and the lives of Jesus. We're actually going to be looking at their parents. So today we're going to start setting up, getting ready for the Advent season that's coming up. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to go through verses 5 to about 38 in pieces. And um, here's the first part. I've actually colored it. I'm not sure if you can see this, but this is a little bit blue. And uh, the other story is going to be a little bit red for like that Christmas theme. But one is a story about John's dad, which is Zechariah. The other is a story about Jesus' mom. And we're going to switch back and forth between the things and see how Luke does this thing. So let me read to you Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I just want to pause here. There are a couple of things I want, you to point to, I want to point out to you. First of all, Zechariah has a lineage. In the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, who you're related to matters. So Zechariah has a lineage. His lineage goes to Abijah. Abijah is a person who hung out with King David, one of the most important figures. So, so Zechariah is related to the superstar. And then his wife is related to Aaron, who is the number one priest in the Old Testament. He's Moses' brother. So you have these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, having incredible lineage for both of them. And they're coming together. They're husband and wife, rock star team, right? This is fantastic. Let's keep going. And then it says, they were both, and listen to this, righteous and blameless. The moment you're using the same word is the way for Luke to underline something, to italicize something. He's just saying the same word again in a different way, righteous and blameless. They're incredibly awesome. And then they kept all the commandments and statutes. He's doing the same thing again, commandments and statutes. He keeps saying, basically, you have two of the greatest people alive at this time, right? They have amazing lineage. They've gone together. They're righteous and blameless. They've done everything you want, right? And the next verse is a dagger that Luke brings up. Let's look at this. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. In the ancient Near East, 2,000 years ago, in the time of Israel, if you had no kid, your identity as a couple is gone. And so here they are. If there's any couple in that time period who deserve to be honored by God, if there's anybody who should be the rock stars to be centerpiece of Israel, this couple should be. And yet God has, in this way of framing it, absolutely betrayed them, it feels like. Lord, we were perfect in front of you, right? We had this amazing lineage. The whole point of the lineage is to tell you who the next one's going to be. But there is no next one. This kills. Let's keep reading. We see this in Luke 8 to 10. Now, while he, this is Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Let's keep going. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And Zechariah, and I love this word, it's an understated word, was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So here he is, he's a priest. Not only is he a priest, he's sort of this chosen priest. He goes into the temple, angel appears. Now let's switch gears to look at Mary. So we see this in Luke 1 later on in the same chapter. In the sixth month, by the way, this is the same angel, Gabriel. He's making like this double visit, right? Cool. Doing a little Uber run. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And what's interesting here is a couple of things. You notice that Mary has no lineage. They don't say anything about Mary's lineage. It talks about the fact she's going to hang out and marry Joseph. Now, he's cool, but she has nothing. And then we know nothing about her righteousness or her goodness or her fulfilling her commandments. We know nothing about Mary. Let's keep going to the next one. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly, and again the word, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Church, the first thing I want to tell us is that this notion of trouble comes to everyone. Look at how beautiful, Luke is one of my favorite gospels, how beautifully he contrasts these things. You know, on one side you have people of amazing lineage, Mary, no lineage. One side you have righteous and blameless, Mary, nothing is said about her. Then you have Zechariah, who is an old man advanced in years. Now, I have gray hair. I, I grew up in the south side of India, right? Gray hair means legit, right? It's good. In America, it's a funny thing. Everybody wants to be 23. I don't get that at all. But if you're old, that means you're in. And Mary is actually, she's betrothed, which means at that time period, Mary, Mary's around 12 years old. She's around 12 or 13-year-old. She's a kid. She's a 12 or 13-year-old girl against like a 65 and 70-year-old man. And you could feel this contrast. Who's important? Are you kidding me? Who are you, kid, compared to this man? He is a priest. He's not just a priest. He's a favored priest. And Mary has no title. There's nothing to her. And finally, all of this is happening for Zechariah in Jerusalem. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem was the cap. It's basically taking Washington, D.C., the center of power, New York, the center of money, and L.A., the center of fame, and putting it together in one spot. That's where Zechariah hung out. And Mary lived in Nazareth, which is like Chula Vista. It's, it's cool, but like, what's Chula Vista? Right? You're hanging, hanging out with somebody in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. I'm from, well, it's not San Diego. It's really, you kind of go a little out, right? And Mary's like Galilee. Nobody even knew what Galilee was, much less Nazareth. This is the contrast in which God is breaking through. Trouble comes to everybody. Now, let me pause and before I go on, say a couple of things. This topic I'm going to be talking about is a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic because 2,000 years ago, what I'm really talking about is infertility and unwanted pregnancy. That's a 2,000 years ago, that was a life breaker. If you don't have kids once you're married, you are shunned from society unless you're superstars like this. Like somehow you make it through as a priest. Or if you have a kid who's an unwanted as a 12-year-old, you are absolutely shunned from society. And let me just say, church, that that is true then, and it is also true now. Right? This notion of infertility is around the air, and this notion of unwanted pregnancy is still happening in the same way through. And it is actually magnified during the holidays. You know, I know many of us are lonely, right? We are longing for family, and we're looking at somebody like Zechariah, going, Lord, what happened? I have been faithful to you. What else do you want me to do? And many of us have families, and we're longing to be lonely. My gosh, during the Thanksgiving time, 
you don't want that family around. You cannot wait to like fast forward and get to Saturday and skip the holidays. Trust me, I could, I'm not telling you which side I'm going to be on, right? But I'm going to leave that alone. But you're like married. Like, Lord, why are you bringing this on me? Like, I'm cool being 12-year-old, being in my dad's house, waiting to be married in a couple of years. I'm set. I don't want this on me now. I don't want this kid. I don't want this family members in my life at this time. One of my favorite things about Scripture, one of my favorite things about this book and the way God speaks is he is not ashamed or afraid to deal with the worst of things. There is no sense of God is saying, that pain is too much, I won't speak to it. He is in the midst of it all. Now, what does, in the middle of this trouble, what does the angel say? Let's take a look. So Luke 1, 13, this is what Gabriel says to Zechariah. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah is told by Gabriel that God has been listening to you. Look at the words. Your prayer has been heard. God has been listening for 65 years. He's been listening to you. I don't know how Zechariah feels at this time period, but that is the word that Gabriel brings. Now let's look to see what we hear from Mary. And the angel said to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I guess I'm, I always got confused at this point because why is God giving Mary favor? I mean, she hasn't been praying like Zachary. You could sort of kind of get the fact why Zachariah got his an prayer answered. You know, he's been faithful. He and his wife have been amazing lineage. He's a priest. He's God's kid, amazing commandment keeper. Everything is perfect. Okay, he deserves something. Well, who's Mary? She has no lineage. She lives in a backwater town. She's 12 years old. She's washing dishes when the Gabriel comes up. Why is she shown favor? What did she do? The key to this to me is actually a little verse that we read a little earlier. So let's go to the next slide. And we see this in Luke 1.28. This is what it says. Greetings, O favored one. This is what Gabriel's first words were. The Lord is with you. What do you mean favored one? Why is she favored? Well, there's a different translation of this verse that some of you might have heard. Can we see that? Let's go to the next slide. It says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. This is the first of the rosary, if you're in the Roman Catholic faith at all. You say, you say, Hail Mary. And this is basically a translation of what the angel said. Listen to these words. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Why is she favored? The answer is right in the middle of that verse. She's favored because God simply chooses. There is no reason why God picked her. It is full of grace. Grace means things you get that you don't deserve. She just got the blessing. She did nothing. There's no background of her that's amazing. You see, Mary, the blessed Virgin Mary, Mary is blessed not because she gives blessing, but because she receives blessing. It's full of grace. She's been poured blessing. She's the blessed one. God picked her because she's in the middle of nowhere as a 12-year-old kid for no reason at all other than God just choosing. That's what grace is. My friends, in the holidays, you know, as we're, as we're getting ready, everything I'm looking at has like Black Friday sales and these kind of things. As we're getting ready to kind of choose a gift for our uncle or aunt, you know, for our grandma and grandpa, for our friends, we choose gifts because they are good, right? It's like, that's the book I wanted to get. I heard great reviews about this book, and I want to choose that gift because I think it's a good book. We choose because it's good. But you see, God chooses, and it becomes good. 
That's how it works. God chooses Mary, and she becomes blessed. And so look at this. The full of grace part is because the Lord is with you. You are blessed because God decided to hang out with you. You didn't do anything. There's nothing in you. No amazing prayer you said. Nothing. God just says, you're mine. And that's it. What an amazing thing. That's why she's favored. Now, this is great. This is the setup. But now let's look at what they say, right? The angel is here. He's made the case. What do they say? Let's look at the next verses. This the top is Zechariah's response. He says, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I love the fact that Zechariah calls himself an old man, but not his wife. I love that. Smart man, right? <laughs> and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? They're basically saying the same thing, right? They're both saying the translation, the current translation is something like, What? That's the translation. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't get it at all because I'm old. I don't get it at all because I'm young. They're both saying exactly the same thing. Another way of saying it is, why should we trust you? You know, I love this because you would expect in the Bible when the angel of the Lord appears, literally fills this room with might and power, that they are troubled and full of fear. It's not just a guy going, hey, what's up? It's the angel. That in that middle, that he is so amazing that it would knock you down to your knees and you would say, yes, Lord, as you wish. But it doesn't. Both of them push back. Both of them says, I don't buy it. Both of them do this thing. I love that about scripture. Scripture is filled with confusion. It's filled with people yelling at God. It is filled with people frustrated at God. In fact, if you want to ever know where it is here, you literally crack it right in the middle. You have the Psalms, and half the Psalms are basically David going, kill my enemies, Lord, please, because you're not doing the job, do something. And then if you flip a little bit over, you get to the book of Job, which is just a rallying cry against the injustice that God is doing. Job is going, dude, I don't even have a representative to fight against you because you're God. It's an amazing thing. Church, when you doubt, you have two options. One option is, in the middle of this yelling, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of injustice, you have two options. One option is you simply say, I'm out. That doesn't make any sense. I'm out. Or the second option is, if things are fuzzy, that's a reason to push in and investigate. So let's take a look at Luke 120. It's just a verse right before this thing, and this is what was said. She was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. You know that word discern in Greek? You could translate that into analyze or process, she's actually thinking, wait, I'm washing dishes, here's an angel that's filling the room, is it real, am I hallucinating, wait, the dishes are real, it feels good, I hear his voice, you could see her, she's totally a nerd, right, she's like a mini mathematician, I could see Mary like, hmm, I don't get this thing, right, and she's like trying to calculate her way through, she's not saying I throw it all away because it doesn't make sense, she's saying I'm going to push through this thing that I don't get, so having done all of this, what is the response now that Gabriel says? Now that these guys are pushing back, what does Gabriel say? Let's take a look. And the angel answered Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand, now let me read to you in two ways. One, you could read it as Gabriel is actually kind of pissed off. Like, Zechariah says, what's going on? And he goes, dude, I'm Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. Do you know who I am? I was sent to speak to you, and behold, you will be silent until these things take place, because you did not believe my words. You could see Gabriel being upset, like, do you know, I had a bad day, and here you are talking back to me. Do you know who, who sent me? You're not going to be able to speak until things happen. But let me read to you the way I think it was. I think Gabriel is actually speaking with incredible kindness to Zechariah. 
I think Gabriel is saying, Zechariah, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you. You can trust me, right? It's not me making stuff up. I'm in front of God's presence. And I bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak these things because you did not believe my words. Since you didn't believe my words, you wanted a sign. You wanted something else? You know what, boy? I got something for you. I'm going to make you mute. And I guarantee that Zechariah was thrilled. Let's take the next verses. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And listen to these things. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. He was so excited to use his gift because he realized it was a promise. Every time he actually couldn't make a word, it was a promise that God is saying, I got your back. For nine months as he waited for that kid to be born, every time it's like, oh my gosh, thank you for giving me something to hold on to. Because for 40 years I've been praying for a kid and you gave me nothing. In fact, Elizabeth and I gave up. We were actually content and gave up. Will you actually scab again, Lord? Why are you doing this? Is it actually true? Will you actually deliver this time? And every time he spoke and he couldn't, that is a great gift that God gave him to say, trust me, I got you. What does Mary say? Let's take a look. And the angel answered her to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's keep going. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Church, this last verse that Mary says, I just have a hard time with. How is it possible that what the angel, the angel didn't say anything amazing, the angel didn't give her a sign. He said things that she didn't understand. Mary didn't know that her son, this little kid that's going to be born to her when she's a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, that this kid is going to grow up and do amazing miracles. She didn't know that this kid is going to get slaughtered in one of the worst ways imaginable. She didn't know that she was going to be there watching the kid get slaughtered, that her son is going to die a brutal death. She didn't know that eventually he's going to become the king of Israel. She didn't know that this boy that she's going to carry is actually God himself. None of these things fully processed in the 12-year-old's head. But yet she says, behold, I am your servant. She is willing to bow her knee. You see, Mary is able to rest in the midst of her doubt, not with, because of the lack of doubt. She's not waiting so everything is perfect and she can say, now I'm in. In the middle of all of confusion, she says, I'm in. Church, I have a question for us, which is, how can we be like this? You know, we don't have full information. Every one of us is asked to make a decision on how to live life well. And we're all making decisions. Let me show you this picture. We're all asked to get on an airplane and risk our entire life based on some story. Right? You can pick the humanistic, atheistic story. You can say, you know what? The world makes sense as an atheist. Like, there's no other God out there. The world is what it is. You know what? I am a big fan of atheism. It makes a lot of sense to me. About 50 to 60% of it, I'm kind of like, I get it. 21st century America, it is attractive to me for certain things. Is that the plane you want to get on and commit your life to fly on? You can. Another plane is you could pick the Muslim plane. How much does Islam make sense to you? Or you can pick the Buddhist plane or the Christian plane or the I don't care plane. The I don't care plane is the plane that says, do whatever you want, man. This is, 
inconsequential to life. I just got to pay the next bill. That's fine. That's a way of viewing life itself. That's a way of figuring out who to show kindness to. That's a way of figuring out what to do for Thanksgiving and how to show forgiveness. That's great. If you think that's the best way to live life, great. Then you're committing your life to get on that plane. You could even do the American buffet plane. This is the plane that you build yourself at home where you pick a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Muslim, a little bit of Christian faith, Hinduism, and you kind of like, I want to commit my life to that plane. You know what? I don't know if I would trust that plane, but if you want to, hey, go for it. Now, we don't have full information. I want us to be really careful. Just like Mary, no one fully understands how things are happening. We're asked to get on a plane when we don't have all the information. And not only that, when we weigh these things to find out which is the best and the worst, you know what? Our hands are on the scale. We're biased. We're not weighing these things equally. This is a postmodern world. We're not viewing this in a third-party fairness. We actually like some of those planes better than others. Maybe the way we grew up. Maybe what that means. You know, if you're bowing your knee to somebody else, you ain't bowing the knee to yourself. Your hand is on the scale as you do this. Let me tell you how I'm thinking. To me, there's a difference between uncertainty and commitment. For the Christian faith, to me, out of all of these, if you had to ask me to put a percentage on which is the most certain, you know, I think the secular humanist, the atheist, makes about 50 to 60% sense. Muslim makes about 50% to 40%. The Christian faith makes 75 to 80% sense to me. Not 100. <laughs> Dude, listen, I was a kid who was born in South India. I lived in Massachusetts for a bit, and now I'm living in Southern California. You think I'm supposed to make 100% agreement with the Christian faith, which was written 2,000 years ago for that covered thousands of years? No way. So 75 to 80% makes sense to me. That's the uncertainty that I'm struggling with. I don't get it all. Like Mary, I don't get it all. But let me tell you this, my friends. I am 100% committed to that faith. I am on that plane. You got to pick a plane to fly. You might not fully make sense of the plane you're in. Pick the best one, and that's what you got to be committed to. It's just like choosing a college to attend. You know, you don't know everything about what that life's going to look like when you go to that college. It's somebody to marry. You have no idea what that marriage is going to hold, right? You're going to change the moment you put on the rings. You're different people already, right? Before, you were cool, and now you're not. <laughs> and that's what you are. You're stuck in that marriage. But that's what commitment is. Right? Without the certainty of knowing what the future holds, you're choosing something to do. And this is a big thing. So let me just close, church, by, by telling you reasons why the Christian story makes sense to me, why it's my story, why I pick that, why it makes the most sense. First of all, it's because it doesn't deal with flawless truths. There are no equations in here. It doesn't deal with perfect things that are untouchable. In fact, the two times that the Ten Commandments appear in Scripture, they're off a little bit. You would think they'd at least get that right, you know, like out of the most perfect things to give, but it's still off. It's not exactly matching up. I love the fact that the entire scripture is about God in a mess of reality. It's about issues of infertility. It's about issues of unwanted pregnancy. God walks in these things. That this is a book of literature filled with poems of pain. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book of prophecy. It's a book of songs. There's nothing clean about this thing. As you switch from one book to another, you got to switch gears. Oh my gosh, what am I reading in Ecclesiastes? It's not a science book. It is a book filled with the world. And it is brilliant. I also love it because it's historical. You can measure historical things. It's not a set of abstract truths nailed into a wall. But it's a set of things that happened in history. Look, if God is real and if he's hanging out with us, and if he's sending things like Gabriel, this angel of fire down to us, then give me a record of it. What has happened? Show me the nation of Israel. Show me the death and the 
glorious resurrection of Jesus that you can measure it historically in the life of the church that follows afterwards. Church, this God not only listens to me like he listens to Zechariah, not only pours out his grace on me like he poured out his grace on Mary, but he does something that I find incredible. He walks with me. And he has this cool name. The name is Emmanuel. God is with us. He is not throwing angels at us alone. He's with us. He walks with us. This is God walking with us in the middle of our trouble and in the middle of our doubt. Let's pray, my friends. Lord King, we are blown away that you, the king of the universe, want to hang out with us. That you want to spend time in our presence, that you want to walk with us, hold our hand in our pain. That you don't make sense all the time. But yet you're crazy about us and you have shown us historically, linguistically, through scripture, through our friends, through the church, what it means to forgive. What it means to show kindness. What it means to fight through a commitment when you just want to give up. Lord, you are a God of goodness. Lord, help us. Lord, we are a people who doubt. We don't get it. We are specks compared to you. The things about you are so beyond us that we don't understand. Lord, in the midst of our trouble, in this holiday season, in the midst of our doubt, we ask you to come to us. Send your spirit to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Sethian. Appreciate that. We are, uh, we're going to receive.